This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 108 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we're talking to Kyle Bragger, founder of Forest.com. Uh, hi, Kyle. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, um, Kyle, you started this, uh, I guess you'd call it a development slash design community called Forest. Um, why don't you give us a little overview of what Forest is and what got you started on it? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's a, it's a community for... People like us building stuff on the web, um, developers, designers, hybrid, you know, sort of hybrid guys that do a little bit of both. Um, about 22,000 strong today. It's been around for about a year and a uh, year and a few months now. Uh, and it's really a very, you know, special, unique kind of place where you can come and everyone sort of leaves their ego at the door. And it's all about critique and feedback and sort of getting getting better at what you do through helping other people do the same. Now you see 22,000 users. Are those active users or registered users? What, you know, how many people do you have are sort of on the site on a regular basis? At, at any given time, we've got about 35 to 37% um, of those 22,000 creating content active. We don't actually even count people that just come passively browse the site without interacting Right. Um, some, some sites, you know, have different ways of, of looking at that metric, but for us, it's all about engagement and are you coming to the site and actually creating posts and, and interacting and commenting and, and doing, you know, more than just, uh, reading more than just consuming. Right. And so you said you've been live about a year and a half, right? So when you say yeah. live, does that mean that you went, that your very first version you released to like three of your friends, or is that when you kind of came out to the world and tried to get everybody jumping in? Um, that was probably the very first version, I think. Yeah, so I wrote like the very first lines of code. I think I registered the domain in late December 2009. Um, I had something working in January and had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 friends of mine uh, join up and we started using it. And, you know, what's really interesting to me is that I started it as a side project and just, you know, wanted something fun to work on that sort of was close to my heart. Uh, but it really started as like this utility more so than a community. Um, it was just supposed to be a place where I could keep track of interesting design and development content, not so much, you know, form uh, like a community around it. it. It did have a few social features, which I think, you know, in retrospect, helped foment the community but it wasn't intended to be that initially yeah I mean, so we, when you first started it were you was this just something you were playing around with that you didn't intend to be uh to come into a business or was it kind of thing you thought well here's this kind of quality i'll mess around with it and at the back of your mind you thought hey if this is really cool it has that potential um i think probably like about 10 percent the latter you know there's always that in the back of my mind with with stuff that i build usually i mean you know i'll build i'll build side projects that are just ridiculous and have no you know aren't completely implausible that could ever be a, a business but for Forrest, it was more so like this is a really neat idea i think and i, I want to try and see what i can do with it and and 
you know, make something and see if it feels good to use. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really apparent that this had more potential until at least uh, two, two and a half months into it, sometime in like mid-February or March uh, of last year. So you said you started out with like 10 or 15 people. I mean, when you said it showed potential, did you have a bunch of people jumping on or was it just that the, this small group of people you had using it really liked it? Um, it was, I think, so, okay, so when, yeah, I got the initial group of people on and, and I think sometime in very early March, uh, Think Vitamin um, wrote about it. You know, I, I designed the initial version. It looked like shit and, um, you know, so it was, kind of hilarious that, that it got some a little early press. Uh, and that really drove the interest for people sort of leaving their, their email on the, you know, the, the splash page. Um, and it started to feel a lot, I don't know, it's really hard to explain. I just sort of felt like, you know, maybe there's something more here than I'm seeing. Maybe, maybe there's potential for something bigger. And I think, at, I think at that point we'd had 100, 200 people on it. Um, and it really started to feel quite interesting, I guess is the best way I can put it. Okay, so you said when they, when they did the write-up and they left their, name, their email address on the splash page, I mean, were you only allowing people in to, uh, a little bit at a time? Because if you had 100 or 200 and then you had, I imagine if Smashing, you said, oh, Vitamin Magazine wrote about yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would imagine you could have you know thousands of people uh, come and leave your email address. I mean, wh- how did that work? Um, so, so early on, uh, you know, it was just like, whatever you call it, a closed beta or something. Um, I had never really put any thought into invite the invite model as this thing that could work at scale or long-term, um, which we actually still do. Um, but yeah, it was just people coming from the blog, leaving their, their email address to, to get in. I was inviting um, friends of mine, colleagues, and I was giving each, each of them, you know, the power to bring in their, you know, sort of their friends and colleagues. So, it was like this friend of friend thing, and, and it was still quite small. Um, and I think we initially we did this thing for the first like month where every day for like fifteen minutes we would open signups and tell everyone. I think through Twitter or, or email or something, and you know whoever got in got in. Uh, right. And I think that that probably worked early on because nobody had heard of Forest except like the Think Vitamin audience, which is primarily I would surmise a lot of like early adopters, developers, designers. So the kind of people I wanted to be in the community. Um, so it was, it was no big deal. Now I don't think that would be a good idea, obviously, because you know, I think more people have heard of Forrest and people who aren't necessarily the right type of person to be, to be in the community. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how it started. Do you think the artificial scarcity helped grow it, that people knowing that they only had a certain a, you know, um, window of time that they could sign up? Um, got people to to actually act. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I think like the whole velvet rope thing has always been um, an interesting, added an interesting dynamic to to getting an account. And you know, as the months went on and and we got more press and people you know started talking about us a lot more. Um, there came a point where obviously like we couldn't just open the site up for a period of time every day and. We got to this weird spot, which we're still kind of trying to work out of where so many people are waiting for an account. We've got about 10,000 right now at any given time mm-hmm. that we're, we're sort of battling growing the community and bringing those guys in with not growing too fast. And also, 
you know, I think the longer somebody waits for an invitation, the more they're building this up in their head and the more apt they, you know, sort of the more potential there is to be disappointed when they sure. sign up, even though, you know, they may have had a completely different impression and all because they had to wait for it. So, you know, we're still it's certainly a good problem to have, but we're still, uh, we're still working through that. So, you know, one thing that, that, uh, you know, I think is an important problem to get over is that, you know, getting from, like you said, that 10 to 15 to getting to the thousands of people. And I'm curious that, you know, you got a write up in vitamin. Was that something that you initiated or was it one of your, you know, friends who maybe had a connection over there was able to hook that up? I mean, how did, how did you go from 10 or 15 people to having, you know, or, or however many you had at the time, maybe a couple hundred to having, you know, vitamin, um, want to write about you? Um, you know, so, so one of the staff writers was a, was a good friend of mine and she, she had heard me talking about Forrest and her interest was kind of peaked a little bit. And, um, she said, you know, this would be great, uh, great for our audience. And, you know, is that something you'd want? And, you know, of course I think at that time it was definitely, yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, it was exciting to have something like that, you know, sort of talking about what I was doing and what, what Forrest was at the time. And, um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. Right. Right. So Justin, I'm kind of, uh, using up all the bandwidth here. You got any questions? I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> well, actually I'm just really interested in listening to what, what's being said and the questions that you're asking. <laughs> okay. So, I, so I, have a, I have a few here. Why don't you just jump in when you want? I got, yeah, I will. I, I, I will. got a bunch. So, um, okay. You know, one thing is interesting too, is to talk about this side project, um, as a, as an effort, because, you know, sometimes people wonder, is a side project something you spend a couple hours on a week? Or is it something that you're coming home, you know, and most nights you're putting two to three hours in? Um, I mean, how did this thing come about? And how much time did you put into it? I mean, was it, was it something that you worked on variations on for months on your own? Or was it just like a, a furious weekend or two and you just crank something out and then got a few friends using it? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. I think initially uh, I put a bunch of time into it. Uh, I actually, I actually almost abandoned it at one point. And I wasn't really sure if it was really interesting to me at the time, and this was like you know in January or something. Um, but yeah, I, I put a bunch of time into it. Nights, weekends. I mean, the first version was very simplistic and didn't didn't need a lot to get to a good point. Okay, I got a question. Are you thinking about um, revenue at this point, or at any point in the future? Um, yeah, actually, if we keep growing as we have been, we'll be profitable this year um, at some point later. And uh, it's looking like September, October. Um, we actually have been making revenue since July of last year, mostly through ads. And now we've got um, we've got a, like an on-site credit system. This this thing called Acorns, right? So these are credits that users can buy uh, for five dollars a piece. They're worth a certain number of impressions, uh, and so we've got this really cool self-serve advertising system for users where they can take a post that they've, they've added into the community and use these acorns to get their post in front of more people. You know, let's say they're launching a new product or they need urgent feedback. They're looking for um, an employee or a partner or something like that. Uh, super useful. And so we've had these out for about three months or so. Uh, we actually got to a point where it was so people were using it so much. We had to turn it off and rework the back end for it um, to sort of handle the, the amount of posts that were coming through, which, you know, another great problem to have and totally unexpected. 
Um, but so we've got those. Um, That's a really good idea, by the way. It's a really good idea I mean, because I, you have if, if if this is the community you're targeting, um, being the early adopter, uh, techie designer, um, entrepreneur crowd. Um, that that's that's just there's so much value in being able to get stuff up in front of them. I, I really like that. Very clever. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I I have to hand you know ninety eight percent of the the credit uh, to Reddit for you know, and apologies for the rhyme there, but um, for <laughs> for having their self serve advertising. I mean, that was sort of the the thing that I looked to for inspiration as to how they're you know how they're kind of doing stuff, and uh, I've used those with with some success. So that was kind of like the initial inspiration. It's it's evolved quite a bit since you know since we initially released it. But but yeah, it's really cool. I mean, you know, we we can get users. You know, one of the big things I think Forest is really helpful for is getting users exposure and helping to bubble up people who are really talented but just don't have that sort of platform right now to get exposure. Um, and so it's it's worked great for that. Have you done any um, promotion yourself by, say, writing, trying to write big uh, blockbuster blog posts or, or anything like that? Um, I've written, uh, I mean, personally, I've written maybe, um, I don't know, a, couple, a handful of posts about communities and stuff like that uh, over the last year. Um, I don't, you know, I don't do as much writing as I'd like to. Most of the forest buzz, I guess, has come from Twitter and blogs, people writing about the site, people talking about the site. We've had, you know, at this point, we've had a handful of, uh, a handful of press and like Read Right Web and, and a couple others. Um, but most of it has just been organic, just people talking about it. Um, Which is the know, best anyway, right? <laughs> if, if you don't really have to do much and people are just spreading the word, then that's, that's, that's what you want. So. Oh, cer- certainly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and that's, I mean, that's been great. And I think it's, I guess, one of the good side effects of having an engaged, kind of passionate community. They, they do the work for us. So it's pretty cool. So, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess this, is, this may not, you may not be able to answer this because of the way you're throttling growth, but do you have any kind of metric for month-over-month growth? Um, last year, or <laughs> last year, last month, um, between January and February, we grew, or I'm sorry, between December and January, we grew 38% in terms of traffic. Um, we grew, I think like we almost have doubled active monthly active users in the last couple of months. Um, but you know, one of the things is like, we're, we're just starting to get more, more broad with the kind of metrics we're gathering, um, right. this, this year, it's sort of one of our focuses. So when you say we, I mean, are, do you have a co-founder or some early employees that you brought in? Um, yeah, so it's actually kind of a cool, cool story. Uh, I, I worked on the site and grew the site myself for like the first eight or nine months. Um, and I think uh, at maybe in October or so, um, hired part-time one of our earliest users, who's like user 22, to do community management. So help, basically helped me do some moderation, sort of take that load off my plate. Um, he, he went full-time, I think, uh, two months ago. And then, so I met, obviously met him on Forest. And then um, the other developer we have now, uh, Zach, I also met through Forest last July. Uh, and he's, uh, he's full-time. And then uh, just hired a full-time designer who's been working with us uh, off and on 
Um, I, I knew him personally before Forrest, but yeah, so, so we're, uh, we're four now and, and I think wow. it's, I mean, for me, awesome that I met half of the team through, through the site. Well, I guess, I guess there's almost no better way to meet people than on your site, right? Cause they're, they understand it, they use it and you can also see the kind of stuff that they're talking about and working on. So. Oh, for sure. It's yeah. It's like, you know, their, their interactions on the site almost vetted them, you know, for me, it was just, it was like a no brainer by the time, uh, they came on. Well, okay, Justin, I, 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 I think you haven't asked a question, but let me just follow up on this one thing or actually two quick questions. One is, so you say you met them and, and you end up hiring them. I mean, how does that conversation start? Did you, did you ask them? Did you say, hey, I'm looking to bring someone on full time. I noticed that you, know, you code in XYZ language and that you're on the site. Would you be interested? I mean, how, how, how did that conversation begin? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for both, for both uh, Mike and for Zach, I think it was just a matter of like, I'd known them for, for a while and we, we felt very friendly and it just sort of felt pretty natural. I mean, it just felt like a natural evolution of, our, you know, budding relationship and, um, just kind of casually came up. Right. Well, that's, that's cool. Okay. I have a couple more questions, but Justin, you jump in. I'm, I'm hogging the microphone. Well, I was wondering, um, just browsing around uh, forest in a kind of unlocked in state. Um, I'm wondering how kind of different it is when someone becomes a member and joins and then uses it. Is it very, a very different experience or is basically what you see, what you get? Um, so, so you're talking about like the public, uh, the public pages that you can see. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So when you when you don't have an account, you can see uh, publicly posted posts. So if you post, you can say this is private to the community or this is public. Anyone can see it. Um, I'd say about seventy percent of the posts are marked as public. Uh, however, if you're not logged in, you can't see comments. You can't like or or do any sort of interactions. It's just more casual browsing. Um, when you've got an account, you can like posts, you know, join in discussions, you can follow users, you can bookmark posts for later. Uh, there's a, a world of stuff you can do uh, as a member that you wouldn't be able to do um, without an account. So can you not even see comments in an unlogged in state? Right. Yeah. We don't, we don't publish comments without, uh, without an account. And that's something that actually stemmed from kind of this really initial promise we made to users that this would be a different kind of community, this would be something where it was uh, just for us and kind of private from the outside world. And I think that's really helped everyone kind of let their guard down a little bit and be more open and honest with each other. You know, there's no worry that uh, if they get a little harsh or, or, you know, say what's on their mind, that that's going to, you know, end up in Google or something like that. Interesting. Right. Um, you, you said that f- early on, uh, you designed the first version of the site, and I'm wondering, you know, two things. One, who designed the current look, and how do you go about doing sort of the UX? I mean, do you sort of develop the features and then sort of do some sort of half-assed design, and then have a designer come back and say, okay, you know, <laughs> let's do this right, or uh, or do you have a designer come in and, and you describe a vision to them, and then you code it up? What's what's your process? Um. So, so yeah, so the initial, so right, I did the initial stuff. Um, the site was completely redesigned and rebuilt in, um, like, probably mid-March through May 1st, we relaunched the full site, basically what you see today. Um, you know, I was certainly, uh, certainly not able, just my limited uh, design skill to, to get anywhere close to where we are now. Um, so this guy, Adam Kopeck, who I'd also known um, just through, through working out of, uh, 
his office, uh, designed what you see today, more or less. Uh, it's, it's obviously evolved since then, but um, he did the, yeah, he just sort of helped out on the side and we, we sat down and I think, I, I feel like one of my, I feel like almost more like a product guy than a developer these days. Like uh-huh. I, I love doing like high level, you know, sketches and wireframes and figuring out user experience. And I think for me, it's, you know, it starts with sketching stuff out on pen and paper going and working with a designer to sort of take my rough ideas and let them do what they do best, which is, you know, solve problems and, and use design to sort of, um, to sort of do that. But that's kind of the process, I guess. Your, your process is, is in contrast to the way 37 signals, um, those guys over there seem to do it, which is do everything in the, in the code, everything up in HTML and sort of what they call getting real as opposed to designing and looking at pictures and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. If you're if you're doing the design, the sketching and the design, and then you code, um, it's sort of an inversion of that, which is probably more traditional, I think. But uh, I'd be curious, you know, if you've tried the other way around, or what you think. Yeah, I mean, you know, we I would say we have a a kind of hybrid approach at this point. So I'll do when I say sketches, you know, they're by no means um, robust in any sense of the word. I'll take these. I'll work with our designer to create an aesthetic. And at this point, you know, the site's old enough to where we've got a pretty established uh, aesthetic and conventions for, for UI. So there's not so much that we're doing there anymore. Uh, and then we will, he'll either, you know, if it's a big feature, he'll start designing in Photoshop. Um, but there also is a very uh, substantial amount of this that we do. You know, we get in the browser and then we'll tweak it in browser when we can, you know, mess around with Firebug and, and whatnot. There's just we do the intermediate step of getting it uh, in in Photoshop too. But I you know I think 37 signals. Um, I, I like the approach. I think that with their aesthetic, it really works. Um, you know, the, the, I think they're in a similar spot where they've just got this very established aesthetic um, in UI conventions. Um, and there's you know there's a lot less they need to do, at least from from the outside perspective. Um, to me, it seems like there's a lot less they would need to do. In Photoshop, anyway, I think for us, right? It's it's, it's less of a big blank canvas. It can be anything. It's like, well, they do tabs a certain way, and they do their buttons a certain way, so they can just kind of. Yeah, and I think you know, I think we're 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 getting there as well. You know, like I said, we've got our aesthetic is pretty locked in at this point, and um, you know, so there is a, there is a good deal of stuff that that Keith, our, our designer, will will go in and just mess around a firebug and get stuff looking, you know perfect there in browser but i guess we're we're in we're in photoshop for you know for designing new new uh ui components and stuff like that and doing the overall messing around and positioning stuff and whatnot so so one last question on the ui uh aspect of things is that i I think you get developers who and i know i feel this way that you you have this kind of very vague idea of what you want the thing to look like you can't really, you don't really have the skill set to make it a reality. Um, and you've, you have some functionality, but you need to find a designer to bring that to life. And that often can be a very frustrating and disappointing experience because it's so hard to communicate something that you can't really make yourself. And I'm just curious what your process was in the very first design. I mean, did you just kind of give your designer this really vague idea and he just went to town or... I mean, how did this process work, and, and was there much frustration in the first couple iterations? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still have some of the, um, 
some of the the UI, the really early UI that that he uh, Adam, the initial designer, was working on. Uh, and I, I think the forest, you know, having it called forest and and sort of wanting to play on that a little bit helped us narrow it down to this kind of like woodsy uh, park ranger type thing. But yeah, I mean, I you know, it's somewhat it's sort of a black box to me in a lot of ways. Where how we went from the first version I designed, which was you know black background and was now looking back kind of hideous, but uh, you know how we went from that to where we are today, which I am incredibly proud of of our aesthetic, and I think the, a lot of credit goes to Adam and Keith for for you know doing that really well and just conceptualizing uh, something so vague as as what I was feeding them uh, into this really gorgeous site. So when you named it originally, you you knew it was going to be called Forest, did you? Yeah, so I think that the name was born out of, I was trying to think about, okay, well, this thing is going to have, uh, you know, a group of people using it and a group of people who are sort of interrelated and doing a similar thing. And I was just thinking of words that sort of hearken to that. So like, yeah, like a forest, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's, it's a group of trees and they're sort of similar and there's this, there's this commonality there. Um, and, but that's, that's kind of how it happened. I don't know if, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because I, I kind of thought that your, your point was that it's a site that enables you to see the wood for the trees, uh, kind of concept. That was, that was just a lucky accident that, that, (laughs) that sort of happened after the fact. What technology is it built on? Um, so the stack is, uh, it's PHP five, uh, MySQL, Redis, and then we've got um, we've got four um, Media Temple VE uh, servers running CentOS five point five or six or whatever. Um, super simple stack. Uh, you know, it's not nothing fancy by any means. Okay, wait. So you say uh, on the, the you're, you're running actual Sun servers? Uh, CentOS. Oh, CentOS. Okay, I think yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I was like, I wow, know. that's that's pretty <laughs> expensive. So. No, no, no. And these are what I mean. You, you, you are these VPSs? Are these co-located servers that you bought and, and installed yourself? Or, or? Uh, it's, a, it's they're they're all virtual. It's uh, yeah, it's it's all VPS stuff. Right. Yeah. Media Temple allows you to say you could. It's like a dedicated dedicated service. You have four dedicated servers. Yeah, essentially. Well, the, yeah, I think that's how it works. I mean, I know that I know that it's virtual because the RAM that each box has is actually like not really all the RAM that we can have, like each one has a little bit extra. Um, so I think they put a couple uh, virtual servers on each like physical server. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's how it's, I think they're using like Virtuoso or something. How much but, are you, uh, how much are you spending? Uh, I'm sorry, I'll ask this one question. And I'll get out of the way, Justin is how many, how much do you spend a month on uh, hosting for four virtual servers? Um, so we have a, we have a nice relationship with media temple that helps us keep that really low. Um, the, the, other costs that we're looking at for for infrastructure is uh, Amazon S3. We're serving all of our images out from that, okay. um, and that I mean <laughs> S3 is ridiculously cheap. I think our bill is about 110 bucks a month, and we're doing probably 10 million uh, get requests. And we also have uh, Redis and MySQL backups um, pushed out to two different availability zones, so we're doing all that data transfer as well. Um, super cheap though. So you're using uh, Redis um, for the for the NoSQL stuff, and you're also using MySQL. How how do you split that up? What which part kind of is assigned to which 
business logic? Sure, yeah. Um, so MySQL is basically the data store for 99% of the stuff on the site. So when I, when I initially wrote the site, um, the initial architecture, like that was it. It was just MySQL. I wasn't worrying about caching stuff. So everything's in MySQL. Uh, with the exception of now, oh, with Redis, one of the things we're using it for are statistics and reporting, which just you know performs exceptionally well at. So our uh, our you know sort of admin stats for different metrics, um, the promoted post stuff, we're we're storing stats on that. Uh, we've got these new forest.me um, profile cards that we just launched publicly yesterday. I don't know if you've seen those, um, but it's like a like a one page site powered by your forest profile that users can uh, users can set up custom domain and we've got traffic stats so we have this pretty cool kind of kind of robust um, traffic uh, stats that we we can do for each user so we're using redis for that using a lot of like the more advanced features in redis which it's it's one of the coolest projects I think I've ever used um, redis is kind of like me- like a smart memcache right it's, it doesn't actually have a, a physical data store like MongoDB is that right um, so right now it's got, it does have persistence. So, um, it's still all memory based, but it does flush to disk in this like binary dump file. Uh, and you can configure the interval for that. So, you know, if you've got 10,000 keys have changed since the last flush, you can write after one minute. If you only have a thousand keys changed after the last save, you can do, uh, you know, maybe it's like 10 minutes and you can configure if I have X keys changed, in the last, you know, since the last save, and it's been at least, you know, n minutes, then write to disk again. So, you know, in that sense, if the if the box, you know, dies for whatever reason, we only lose the way we're configured. We would lose about like five minutes. The last five minutes, everything else is flushed to disk. We do backups and all, all that stuff. So it's it's interesting. It sort of walks the line, and and the way that Redis um, works it forks itself and does it basically like an asynchronous background save. Uh, so, so there's no, you know, slowdown um, in performance or anything like that. Very cool stuff. So you're using it for caching mainly, or uh, is it like a split between the caching and the stat stuff? Um, all we're doing all the stats uh, in Redis. And then it's also used in the more traditional memcache sense where we've, you know, we'll cache, data as we look it up and, and expire it if it changes and stuff like that. So it's, it's doing a lot for us. We've got probably t- 10 or 20 million keys um, for like a warm cache. Interesting. So do you think, what, what sort of scale do you think you, well, okay, for, for the MySQL stuff, is that like a master slave on the four servers? Um, nope. So we're, it's, we're actually just running a single master still. Um, we've got one, uh, we've got one dedicated Redis server, which just has like, a ton of RAM, nothing else really running on it. We've got uh, one production front end. We've got one uh, MySQL uh, master uh, on, a, on a server, and then we've got a, a staging server and sort of utility server. Um, so, so we're actually still technically on one, yeah, one front end, and uh, MySQL's on a box, and then we've got Redis on a box. Okay, so it's not load balanced at this stage? Uh, nope. Not load balance. Um, most we we did this pretty substantial infrastructure rewrite in like um, between September and uh, December, and we've got we've got most pages down about seventy percent on like latency and also um, memory footprint. So we're 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 actually in a good spot, I think, to grow at least for the next six, if not more, 
uh, months before we really need to look at adding uh, adding resources. I think probably when we release our full API, which I, I hope, you know, it's been on the table for like six months, but I hope that, you know, we can get that out the door in the next couple of months. And I think probably I'll add another another box to serve API requests separately. But uh, but yeah, I think we're, we're in a good spot. The servers are happy right now. When you said you have one instance of MySQL, I mean, what are you doing for, for backup purposes? So we, uh, it's actually, I guess, kind of maybe old school, maybe not, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm somewhat behind the times on some of the stuff, but uh, it's just a MySQL dump that runs uh, at intervals. Uh, Nothing you know, wrong with that. It gets the job done. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's, that's the beauty of just having one database. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's simple stuff. And a lot of what I've picked up over the years, I have to give a ton of credit to this, uh, this sysops uh, friend of mine that I worked with um, in a couple of previous places. He's you know, taught me a ton about uh, scaling and, and infrastructure. So uh, it may not be the most uh, fancy thing, but it, like you said, it gets the job done. Um, yeah, so we, we just dump the disk and compress it and then push it using like a, a uh, it's a Perl or Python script to, uh, to S3. So, uh, you know, was that like you, you, how often are these dumps happening? Like every five or 10 minutes? Um, Redis, Redis is saving every, yeah, as, as, as close as every five minutes. I think we're doing, um, like every four or six hours on Redis. We're, we're actually backing up, uh, externally, and then my sequel, I think it's every three hours, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, now, I think I heard on a, on a previous interview with you that you started, your initial version of Force was written in Ruby or Python or something, and then you moved to PHP because you, that was more in your comfort zone. Is that is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, I've, I've been a pretty big like Ruby enthusiast for the last couple of years also. And for like side projects, I especially once Heroku started being really awesome. Um, I, I've just done side projects in, in Ruby using Rails and throwing it on Heroku. It's free. It's, you know, things are done quickly. I can, you know, use gems and worry about building the application stuff and not worrying about rewriting an off layer or whatever. Um, but once, yeah, so once things started getting a little interesting with Forest in, like, March or April, I just took the plunge, rewrote the, the stack over to PHP, just, you know, it's definitely more my comfort zone. It's where all of my, you know, high traffic experience has been. And, and just, I, I can go to sleep at night knowing how to scale it and, and worrying about, you know, not worrying about things blowing up. I'm not as comfortable with the Ruby stack. I just, you know, never got there. Jason, it's kind of interesting we're talking about this. I didn't tell you, but I um, submitted so, uh, a link to Hacker News, which was of... Um, a crowd in Switzerland who wrote a blog post about why they stick with PHP and why they don't move to Ruby and, or Python. And it's, it's pretty much been on the front page of Hacker News. All yeah, day I read that and voted on this morning. I didn't know you submitted that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah so, I, saw I think I saw that too. So it's, it's kind of, it's, uh, it's synchronistic that, that we're having this discussion now. I mean, I think it's, I, I completely agree. I mean, basically what you understand, what, what is your wheelhouse is, it, there's so so many benefits to sticking to that than just going with a new technology for the sake of it. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, you know, I guess the thing is, I mean, it, it really matter. It doesn't matter whether you use Python, PHP, or Ruby, for instance. I mean, you can make it work in any language, and all, all three of them are are going to be successful if if you know what you're doing. And 
Um, but what about the issue of you, you hear people talk about this like, well, if you're working in you know the latest coolest stuff, you can you can get better people to come work for you. And if you're working, but if you're working in an older language, older platform, there those type of people would be less interested. I mean, did you was that an issue at all or not? Uh, not at all. I mean, <laughs> not at all. Zach, Zach was a pretty big um, PHP and like CodeIgniter contributor. Or not uh, to CodeIgniter, but uh, just like a big PHP guy in general. I think does like a meetup out in Rockford, Illinois, where he is. Um, but I mean, my views are like, I, I guess the thing is, if it's super new, like how many years of experience can someone actually have on it? Um, right. You know, it's for me, it's more about has this been around? For a while, is this something that the, the hard problems have been either solved or, or are getting there? Certainly, PHP has proven itself, you know, a thousand times over. And, and yeah, you know, you'll always have the sort of uh, naysayers for anything. The guys, we still get, I still get emails on a semi-regular basis of people questioning why we're using PHP and don't, don't we know that it's an outdated language? And But <laughs> at the end of the day, I would rather have someone who's had years of experience and, and is super comfortable than someone who picked up, you know, like node.js or something last week and is super excited about it. But it's, you know, that's, that's just me though. Are you using a PHP framework or have you written your own one? Um, so, so when I rewrote it from uh, Ruby to PHP, I did use CodeIgniter. It was something that I'd been using a lot. Uh, I was comfortable with. We got to a point where CodeIgniter started causing some issues for us, just, I mean, it, it still had PHP 4 support, and just, at least in my opinion, wasn't written for larger-scale apps, I guess. That, that's just how I saw it. I don't know if that's necessarily the case for, for other people, but I just felt like it, we were having a lot of trouble getting it to work the way that it should have worked or we wanted it to work. Um, and so I uh, had been working on a framework basically built the way that I sort of think a framework should work for PHP. It's not trying to be Rails. It's not trying to be Django. It's just, it's using PHP and, and keeping things simple. And we've been on that since, uh, since about October. Um, and it's been in production since about November. So, so you've built your own framework basically. We did. Yep. How dare That's, you, Kyle? Aren't yeah, you not allowed to do that? Don't you know you're not allowed to do that? You're not yeah. allowed to reinvent the wheel. You have to use somebody else's wheel. Even I guess that's well. The wheel, the wheel had different bolts. Uh, yeah. Didn't work. Well, hey, you're, 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 you're. You know, we're we're on the same team here. <laughs> Justin and I are kind of, <laughs> you know, not that we're preaching one way or the other, but we're we're both kind of people who build our own stuff and we're happy with it. And it's it's funny though because you get a lot of pushback and people get really upset when you don't want to use an established framework for stuff. But mm-hmm. if you know what you're doing and you've invested a lot of time in something and. Uh, you know, it it can it can work really well, and you can be a lot more efficient. And and clearly, it's like like we said, you know, in terms of languages and frameworks, um, you know, anything can work. It's just well, the ma- the main point is is because if you want to build your own framework, you you don't over engineer. You just build a framework that's correct for the task at hand. So there's a whole a whole signal path and uh, code bloat that you don't need to have included. So therefore, optimization is a lot easier. Plus, also you understand it intimately, which makes it way easier to optimize. That's, yeah, I mean, I, I could, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, if you look at the Zend framework, it's a perfect case in point. I mean, it's like you know, it takes you ten minutes to download the damn thing. You know, it's huge. Um, mm-hmm. Much less understanding what it does. Um, and if you're just building a an application that you understand, that you 
you know how to do, then why, why, why build this massive framework for serving up some web pages? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and it's interesting for us. I mean, that's exactly where we kind of are right now. It's like every, every single line of code in the framework was built because we actually had to use it for something uh, in production. There's zero, you know, zero bloat. Nothing is there that doesn't need to be there. Um, it's all very simple. There's no, you know, insane class hierarchies. And at, at most, uh, a given library will interact with like one other library. Yeah, every every line of code that that we've written for it so far has been because we actually needed it somewhere, and I think um, it's it's served us really well. And you know, now having it in production for the last uh, four four months or so, uh, it's somewhat battle tested, and and we've worked out a lot of the the kinks there. And it's you know the other thing I think that people overlook a lot is enjoyment, um, and I think we've created you know enjoyment for ourselves, and it's fun to build things again. And we're not worrying about why something is not working. It's just, yeah. So I think that's sort of overlooked these days. Yeah, well, I, I think that's one of the most important issues is that what is it that makes you want to get up and code every day and write great stuff? Because if you're using technologies or that you're not comfortable with or not interested in or using methodologies that you think are burdensome or boring or, or just make it more of a slug fest than it is just you know having fun, I, I think you got to really examine you know, doing that. Um, because if, if you're not enthusiastic and it's in a side project, it, nothing's going to happen with it, you know? Um, so it, I think that's one of the key, key um, considerations is w- what is it that you want to work on? If, you, if you're excited about Python and that's what makes you get up every day, then work on Python. You know, if it's Node.js, do Node.js. I mean, assuming that you know it well enough or you're willing to learn it, this new technology well enough to, to be productive. Exactly, yep. So one thing, I actually, I'd like to bring you into a couple of uh, ongoing discussions that Justin and I have been having, and I think it would be really interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Um, one is, when you first started, um, in your first version of this, before, no, did you God. begin storing your images in S3, or did you store them in, your, in MySQL and Blob columns or in your local file system? I mean, what, I, mean I, I understand at some point you had, maybe had to move to S3, but what was your path there? Uh, I just did it from the beginning. Um, I mean, S3 is so stupid cheap that for me, it was the consideration of if this goes somewhere, now I'm set because I don't have to migrate images or anything like that. That was, okay. that was yeah. I mean, it was, it was literally a penny a month or something. So it didn't... Oh, I mean, okay. Yeah. But one of the things, Jason, is because obviously the images are public. I'm, I'm guessing that you don't kind of have your images in a kind of security SSL secured lockdown thing. Whereas Jason, for what you need, you know, you need to lock your images behind security walls, so it's not necessarily going to be that easy with S three. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we we have we haven't looked at this too much, but I think you can actually add expiration into the S three uh, URLs, and I, I think there's a way to sign them and, and use um, SSL and, and expiration to basically create these URLs that are only valid for, you know three seconds or something. I, I don't know if you guys remember Mux tape at all, but I think that is what uh, Justin mentioned that he was doing for the, for the MP3s when, when people uploaded them. He would generate this URL that was valid for three seconds, and then after that, you know, you need a new URL sort of thing. Interesting. Okay. Huh. I never thought about that. Well, in, in terms of the broader discussion on security, that's something we've talked a, a bit about, uh, especially in based on the story of anonymous hacking HB Gary and how they used SQL injections and 
compromise the system in all these sort of standard ways. I mean, what have you done for secu- for security? I mean, have you written some? Uh, yeah, I mean, first for, ask the first question. My first question would be, um, well, I'm sorry to stumble around here. Just have to cut this no, out. No, no, that's okay. So my my first question would be, um, what have you done in terms of security to to lock to lock things down? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I mean. Especially with, with, I don't know, for whatever reason, PHP tends to have this. Uh, I think someone the other day said PHP was a DSL for like um, SQL injection or something, which <laughs> I thought was kind of a hilarious uh, statement to make. But <laughs> my God. Yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. Like, that's just, that's just, once again, one of those things that is just insane. Yeah, it's that's like saying That's like saying pencils are responsible for nuclear warfare. Yeah, yeah basically. Um, <laughs> so. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely like at this point a pretty comprehensive list of things that, that every you know web application developer should be doing right. in terms of security. Um, you know, we're we're not trying to get clever and use our own low level stuff for let's say MySQL. You know, we're using the MySQL I uh, extension. It mm-hmm. handles you know uh, variable escaping and standardization and bind variables and all the things that can prevent SQL injection, for instance. We're just using what's already been written and tested and, you know, proven. So we're not trying to get nuts there. Um, one thing we, we haven't done well is, you know, we, we haven't been running uh, SSL. Uh, we just got set up, um, you know, last week or something with the certificate. We, we've got we've to sort of get on that for, for login and stuff. Um, you know, we're using, uh, we're using Bcrypt um, for, for password uh, encryption and, you know, getting smart about Per user salts and a global salt and uh, things like that, and um, we've got a pretty robust session library um, that you know session fixation and all that stuff. We've got cross-site request forgery, you know, like form tokens and whatnot. So just I guess just to to summarize, I guess really just following the prescribed steps for every what you know kind of what every web application should be doing. We've tried to do and and understand. If someone logs in with SSL, does that mean you can then flip them to non non HTTPS and and the session stays open? Um, yeah, technically, I think we've we've got things set up to go live with this. Hopefully, like uh, next week or so. But yeah, we can we can flip them back to to uh, unsecured if we want. We've been actually waffling on this a little bit. We will do that, or whether the whole thing should just run under SSL. Um, we that, that's interesting because um, I'm, I'm thinking about the same thing and wondering what the um, uh, performance issues are with that. Yeah, and you know I've been doing a little research and and we did a little load testing and and things seemed you know from a cursory exploration things seemed all right. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I would have thought. And I'm still I guess looking for evidentiary support either way as to no you shouldn't run your whole site under SSL all the time or you know I think. Uh, I don't know if that would stand up necessarily uh, that you shouldn't because I've, you know, I mean, look at bank websites and uh, I think GitHub's under SSL completely. and Gmail, I think. Yeah, Gmail. Google Docs, um, I think. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I'm really, we've been waffling about it, but I think especially for our audience, it might make sense. Um, and if, if we can, you know, just, just educate ourselves about potential performance implications and, and figure those out, then there's really no reason why we couldn't technically. Right. Um, another issue, which I think would be interesting, we, we brought up in the last show and um, was this idea of 
linked karma, which is that if you invite somebody in, I had this idea, and it turns out, uh, at least according to one of our listeners, that you do this on Forest Now, which is that if you invite somebody into the site, their karma affects you so that if they do good things, you get sort of residual benefits from that. If they do bad things that are against policy, um, you're going to get penalized. So like in the real world, um, if you invite somebody into a club and they start acting like an asshole, you know, you're going to look bad. And people are going to get angry. You're like, why did you invite this guy in? You know, he's right. screwing things up and you're going to have to go. T- and then that's going to make you want to go talk to him and say, hey, cut it out. And vice versa, if you bring somebody in and they do all this kind of great stuff, you're going to get some bonus on that. People are like, hey, man, just like in the real world, you know, people could be like, you, it's, you know, we're glad you invited that guy in. He's awesome. He's really uh, making this better place. I mean, are you doing something like this already? We are. Yep, we are. Um, so we've got a pretty, pretty robust reputation engine that has been, it basically looks at every single thing every person does. Um, you know, every action they take, every interaction they have, even going down to the, I don't even know how to describe it. We're running um, a bunch of text uh, statistical algorithms on the content people are sharing to figure out if they're creating like these, these stereotypical great work, you know, awesome sort of pat on the back, but, but otherwise, um, otherwise empty comments. Uh, and we can sort of tell whether they're writing really thoughtful, well-constructed, um, content or whether they're just sort of, you know, writing one or two words. Um, so we take all this stuff into consideration. Uh, and then exactly. So if I invite you, uh, after a grace period of a few days, you know, we're, we're giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. They're new. They're sort of finding their way around. Once that's passed, every, you know, your reputation affects me, trickles down proportionally, you know, like some percentage or something uh, affects me either way. So if you're awesome, I get, yeah, exactly as you said, I get rewarded. If you're detrimental to the community, I also feel that to the point where, it's never happened yet, but we would consider uh, suspending users who invite, you know, who habitually invite really, really detrimental users. So we are, we do have this accountability thing. But I think what we've found, which we need to sort of iterate on a little bit, it's made people super paranoid um, to a point to really use their invites. And, and you know, it's this, I won't call it, I wouldn't say it's a problem per se, but people are definitely a lot more wary of inviting people they don't know because they're worried about that person affecting their own standing in the community, which, you know, I think they're probably, we're just not doing a very good job of communicating that it's not that bad. You know, you need to really, they need to really screw up before it's going to, going to affect them to any substantial degree. But, you know, it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon to, to have employed yeah, it's 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 sort of a, it'd be an interesting case study in, in behavioral economics. It's the kind of stuff that they talk about in in books like Freakonomics, um, you know, and other books on behavioral economics, which is how do you how do you change or or, or um, shape the incentives? So if if the downside is too great compared to the upside, then and people aren't are, are paranoid, then you need to write either change the perception or the rewards or whatever. So. You know, if I invite someone in and they do a bunch of great stuff and I get a, you know, I don't get that much karma for it, then who cares? Because the downside is much worse. So it sounds like it's, um, it's just a problem of, um, of economics. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of what we've been doing is just figuring it out as we go. And certainly uh, this is the first community I've ever ended up, I guess, almost accidentally starting. Uh, And yeah, exactly. It's like, we're just figuring out 
how you know what what works for people, what doesn't work for people, and you know the good thing is we're we're in a time with engineering where we can act really quickly, and as soon as we have some measurable data, you know we can we can work with that. Okay, I have a, I have a couple more quick follow up questions on this topic. Which is first is where did you get the idea of of um, doing sort of the two way karma, not uh, or linked karma, I should say. Um, uh, you know that's a really good question. I just uh, I knew that I always wanted to have reputation on the site, and, and we actually rolled it out a lot later than I expected to. Um, but I think it just was something that I don't know if I was if I was subconsciously inspired by something I read or saw, but uh, it just sort of I don't know materialized in my head that maybe this is something interesting to try, and I couldn't really think of anywhere else doing it. Uh, that I had seen. I mean, certainly I haven't seen a ton of stuff, but yeah, I was um, kind of bummed when uh, I think it was Udi was the um, one who informed, one of our listeners who informed me that you guys were doing something for us. Cause when I brought the idea up in our last show, I'm like, yes, this is a cool new idea. And they're like, Oh, they're already doing that for us. I'm like, Oh, that sucks. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I think it's, a, I, I love it. I mean, I think more, I, you know, I think more people should, should consider something like this. And, and, but yeah, I mean, it was just something that, I guess I was brainstorming and so oh this might be cool. Um I you know, I, I had certainly not read much of anything about um behavioral economics or you know, sociology or any of this other stuff um that might have led me to to come to that same conclusion. But it's it's very interesting that it's it's been a topic recently. Now when you talk about the algorithms that you use, did you take a, a look at Hacker News, Reddit, Dig. I mean, I, I know that um, some people have written up um, how those algorithms actually work. Um, and I'm wondering, were, were your first versions of the Karma system, how did they come about? Um, so Zach and I basically brainstormed kind of the high level, how this should work and what we're looking to get out of it, which is a reputation score for each user based on their activity in the community and I think I, we probably looked more at like Stack Overflow, where there's you're, you're kind of leveling up, you're getting points for doing stuff, and modeled it after that. So um, we have a giant list of like, if you do this, then it's worth plus five points. If you do this, it's worth minus, you know, point one points. Um, and then just running those constantly. And there's also, I don't know if uh, I was talking to uh, Harper Reed from uh, the old Threadless uh, CTO. Um, we sat down and had a really good chat about doing like decay and, and creating this sort of battle between people's reputations getting higher. And then I guess, I guess you would call it like temporal decay or something where time over time, your the system is also reducing their reputation. So it's like this kind of balance. If they're really active all the time, their reputation is getting really high. Yeah, it's like, what, what have you done for us lately? Kind of thing, exactly. Right? Yeah. Something like that. But uh, yeah, you know, and it's really, I think it's a, it's really cool, fascinating just to think about how this stuff works. And I think, I like to think we've done it fairly well for a first, a first go, but I'm also, you know, eternally fascinated by uh, looking at other communities that have been around like Metafilter and, and Stack and, and uh, Reddit and Hacker News and just trying to learn as much as I can from what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. Are you thinking in terms of, uh, scaling this horizontally like stack exchange or is that uh, maybe too premature to talk about something like that um it the it's crossed my mind a few times um 
I think if anything, short term, it would be something where we would only scale it horizontally in places where we could seed those communities with a ton of users. So things like copywriting and photography have been the two that I think about a lot because we've got a lot of overlap there. But yeah, I think it's it's too early to say. And and you know, I know that we're we're still a small team, and and uh, we know what we're good at and what we're not. And I think it we just don't have the kind of like moderator infrastructure either to make those work. I mean, Forest, I think Forest works because we've got a really robust kind of moderator system on the back end. And I think it would be, it would be an interesting challenge to see if we could take this model and go completely outside of our comfort zone and apply it to other stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that within the next year, I would love to try out um, like a sub community for, for something like that. Are you interested in funding or is boots is bootstrapping the way for you? Um, I mean, I definitely come from this background of don't raise money unless you absolutely need it. And, and, you know, certainly at this point it's for guys like us, it's so, you know, so cheap or free to make an idea come to life and see you know, the whole MVP thing. Um, and Forrest, I actually funded it out of my own pocket for like four months or so uh, initially, but it got to the point where I was, really feeling like there was a lot of potential here and uh, I was, you know, had a, had a full-time job actually with uh, working with Gary Vaynerchuk uh, at Corked, um, this, this like wine social network. So he, uh, he and I had this really late, like late night secret chat one night and decided that he really liked what I was doing um, and he was going to invest a little seed money so I could leave and, and work on it full-time and see what I could do. Um, so that's what happened and, and things got, Things got exciting, and we're at a point now where we uh, we're about to close a, an angel round with um, Dave McClure, and then uh, this guy Adam Schwartz, who does like Screener, which is a pretty cool little screencasting product, and uh, hopefully a few other people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt like it was the right decision for Forrest. Certainly, we're just now raising our first, um, you know, our first substantial round of funding, uh, fourteen or fifteen months into the product. So I'm pretty proud of that. Um, but also, you know, I realized that at a point, Forrest was big enough where I couldn't really wear all the hats. And, and it was, you know, sort of like jack of all trades, master of none. I wasn't really putting enough effort into any one of the facets of the site that needed it. So, um, you know, I wanted to grow the team a little bit and see what we could do with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of cash and some, some other guys working on it with me. And, and here we are. Well, the C- can you... Are you willing to talk about the how much you how much seed funding you raised and Angel, or is that uh, something you'd rather keep quiet? I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm happy to. Um, we've raised uh, raised 150k in this round so far, and I think we're getting close to being you know between that and, and revenue. Uh, I, I don't suspect that we'll be raising much more um, right. for this round, at least. And I guess you know the, long, the longer term question for for any company eventually gets to this this question of is this a lifestyle business or is this, you know, could this be a huge business and have an exit or whatever? And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, I don't know where, where I stand on that, but yet I think that um, Forrest has a lot of potential when you t- start to talk about uh, jobs and, and helping connect our users with, with, uh, with cool companies and startups and stuff. Certainly there's a bit of a hiring deficit right now, and I think Forrest is in a good spot to be helpful with that. So it's a really it's been on my mind a lot lately. What you know, 
what Forest's full potential is. I really like the way that essentially it's, I haven't seen this before where someone's taken the kind of privacy um, social network aspects of Facebook and then combined that with content. That is really what Forrest is, and that's very, very nice. I appreciate well, that. Well, one thing, Justin, you brought up with, and we were we kind of were commenting about this um, in a, I don't know, what was this on our last podcast? Um, is the idea, is Forrest trying to boil the o- oceans? Justin, that was your concern. That is it, rather than saying going after just like one narrow technology you're well, going after you see all- that's my concern from the homepage. just from just from from hitting the homepage, from kind of briefly scanning it and looking at it without hearing any of the backstory backstory but now um having had the discussion and hearing the backstory i i kind of understand and i can also see how it's got past what i consider the kind of boil the ocean feel of the homepage, because most of the people who get there have an idea of the backstory and come through an invite only route so it doesn't really matter right but um, that that you know once again that could just be purely my opinion, um, and it, I, I may be completely wrong. But I just felt that when I hit when I hit the homepage for the first time, I just was like I didn't understand it. Interesting. No, I'm I'm, I'm happy to hear that feedback. Um, the homepage has been this really fascinating thing this whole time with um, with Forest, where our very first homepage was was this really elaborate illustration and just absolutely like very little context about what Forest is. And, and this current homepage aimed to sort of change that a bit. Um, but I'm, I'm really curious to hear, I'm, I'm curious and grateful to hear that. I think, I think we do have a lot of sort of, a lot of, uh, a bit more to go in terms of telling a better story. Um, and certainly Forest has evolved to be like a lot about web development, web design, uh, little bit little bit of like platform stuff but you know I, I definitely do agree that we might we might have to tell the story a little better i could imagine it having something this is the uh, texting unsolicited unsolicited advice section <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> i i could imagine it having something like uh the dropbox simplicity um and with a video somewhat like the original twitter introduction video basically explaining the concept in that just really simple way that just that gives the backstory that we've described in this show so far because somehow saying just the text that's on that page for us as a community of passionate developers and designers i mean that text is kind of boilerplate text for any community so it doesn't really get it across it to my way of thinking but you know you you're already viral you're already go you know going hockey stick so no, no need to listen to what I'm saying right now. No, yeah, no, I don't, I think... I don't listen to Justin anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I, I won't. I won't. But uh, this is a policy. <laughs> no, I think that's a really. I think that's a really a good point. Um, I think that's a really good point, and it's something that I think would absolutely benefit us because it's really you know even to this day, even given that more people have heard of Forest and people are coming, sort of already knowing a bit about it, it's really surprisingly more people than you'd think are getting in and saying, okay, now what do I do? Um, and and mm-hmm. sort of managing like their expectations of what this really is. And I think that could be really useful. Definitely. I, I'd like to ask you a question about your sort of development methodology. Um, there was a recent article that I, that got some traction on Hacker News about test-driven development really doesn't fit very well for startups because they're trying to iterate so quickly. They don't necessarily know what they're even trying to build, much less if it's right uh, or if anyone's going to care. And so 
the iteration cycle is just much more much quicker and sort of ad hoc and let's just try this and throw it out and then we can bulletproof stuff later whereas the test driven develop is much more methodical much more careful i mean what are your thoughts on that um i think yeah that's a really interesting uh debate i guess and i think i think for me we we definitely do have a test suite especially for the framework um but i wouldn't say that i'm necessarily like a tdd guy i think it's more about um building stuff and keeping it simple but you know if if we do end up building complex functionality like our reputation engine or any of this other stuff then absolutely we're going to write tests for it but it's more like we plan it out we build it and then we write tests sort of concurrently so we know that it's working the way it should to spec mm-hmm. um and uh, you know especially when when rails started getting more popular and they really pushed the whole test you know test driven development thing and I've always felt like an outcast a bit for not just, you know, or TDD and also the BDD stuff that, that seems to be quite prevalent. What is BDD? Uh, it's like behavior-driven development, I think. It's mm-hmm. more about, like, user stories. And I, I could be making this completely up, but um, I think it's almost more about, like, user stories and, you know, this thing should do X and then it does Y and then, you know, Z happens. Um, but, you know, yeah, so I've always felt like a bit of an outcast for not you know, subscribing to the TDD thing and sort of, I guess, flying by the seat of my pants sometimes, uh, not writing tests when I think maybe I should. And but I think I think it's yeah, it's a really interesting notion that startups are iterating so quickly that their tests become uh, deprecated almost instantaneously. And mm-hmm. you know, I guess figuring out what that balance is, and I don't profess to have figured that out whatsoever. But I think so far it's worked. Well, for us, I mean, we're certainly not pushing anything into production that isn't um, isn't covered by some kind of test if it needs to be. Things that are like, you know, find find post one from the database and then, you know, render it as JSON. Uh, you know, for that, it's like, okay, do we, do you really need to write a test? For exactly. That? It's sort of like sort of you just got to use your best judgment. You know, it's sort of judgment based programming, which is don't subscribe to any particular methodology in all cases is just use your brain. Like, okay, you know, this is complex code. If it screws up, it's going to be a problem. We should definitely write some thorough testing on this. This is really yeah. simple. If it screws up, not, not a big problem, you know? Definitely. It looks like a- yeah. Definitely. And I think one of the kind of like litmus tests that I like to use is if this code breaks, does it break other stuff besides itself? So like if our database library breaks, well, obviously that's going to really mess up a lot of stuff beyond just the database library itself. Uh, so, you know, that we obviously have extensive test coverage. But, yeah, like I said, like, you know, if it's an API endpoint that grabs a post and renders it as JSON, uh, probably not. Right, right. Um, I, I guess I want to go back to one thing. I know we're, we're probably getting towards the end of the, end of the show. So I just a couple of things we glossed over, and I, I don't know if you, how much you can talk about it or not, but... You know, when 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 developers are, are are trying to get to turn this sort of a side project into something bigger, um, you know, you have to get a design, you have to allocate time, and you said you got the first you you you, you I guess you outsourced the design to a, a designer friend of yours. So yeah, exactly. how I mean, you know, obviously designers can be very expensive. I mean, you could end up spending five ten thousand dollars on a design, or you could spend less if you can find someone who's you know, very inexpensive and, and maybe a friend. Um, you know, how did you work that out? How much did it cost you, say, for a first simple design? And, and did you have to work it out creatively where they uh, 
he got paid more later or, or what? Um, we, yeah, I don't know how we exactly worked that out. Um, it definitely wasn't something that, that, uh, that we tried to formalize too much. It was just two friends, like having a blast designing a really cool product that had some potential, I guess. Um, and you know, he, we've definitely compensated him now, uh, for what he's done. And, and, um, I, I think part of it also was that one aspect of Gary's investment was that I could make use of some of his, uh, staff designers. So, so Adam and Keith were both on staff at a, at a company called VaynerMedia. Um, oh, so, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that was, that was kind of it. Like I could get their time here and there, um, as part of the investment, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think I'm a huge fan of collaboration. If you can find someone that you work really well with who, um, who just believes in what, what they're doing and, um, you know, believes in what you guys are doing and, and wants to build a cool project and isn't really concerned with, okay, I need to get paid for this. Then, then that's great. Yeah. Cause it, cause it just, I mean, it just, if, cause if you don't have something worked out that way, it's just, it's just an interesting problem to solve. Like how do you get a good design, which oftentimes can be a, important whether people actually use your product and if it's going to cost you, um, five, $10,000, which is oftentimes just out of reach for, you know, these uh, people who are trying to bootstrap something on the side. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, I've, I've never been in a position where I've, where I've, uh, where I've hired like a designer that I didn't know and just had to work with them on getting something substantial done. It's always been collaborating with friends, um, or, you know, having someone on staff that I knew already to, to work with. So I, I, you know, I really can't speak to what it's like to have this, I guess, somewhat stranger working on, uh, working on uh, design for you. So, um, well, Justin, do you have uh, any more questions? I think, um, well, I mean, I think that we're, we've come to the end of the show. Um, I know that Carl just had an hour and we've done an hour and 15. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. yeah so, um, I don't know. Um, I guess we should probably, you know, probably wrap it up, let him get back to working on forest. <laughs> and, um, I just, you know, uh, Kyle, I'd like to uh, thank you for taking the time being on the show with us. It's been a lot of fun and I'm really excited about, uh, using forest myself, especially the acorn thing. I think I have some uses for that. So I'm gonna have to buy some of those. Yeah, me too. And, um, I'm just, you know, now I'm eager to get, get into that, uh, into forest. So I'm as, as soon as this show's over, I'm going to give you my email address and hopefully you can set me up with an account. Yes, absolutely. And I'm not going to awesome. invite, I'm not inviting you though, Justin, cause you're like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're just a liability. I just know. Dude, I'm going to be invited by Kyle. I mean, he's like the owner of the whole thing. I'm going to have the best karma on there. Well, cool. Well, uh, Kyle, I think we'll, um, we'll let you go, let you get back to it. And, um, again, really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun and, uh, hopefully, um, you know, you can get a, a, a sort of a new burst of users from our, uh, from our listeners. Cause I think we'll have a, our, our listeners are probably very interested in, in, in checking Forrest out. I think so too. It was, it's awesome. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Sure. All right. Purpose. That's a wrap. We're out. You know, I forgot. There's one other thing I want to ask you about. Justin, yes. can we just can we edit this? In? No, too late. I'm sorry. You screwed up. Can you keep record? Let it be a lesson. Can you record? Yeah. Okay. Go on then. Um, I want to ask you about the Forest Podcast. That you have a podcast, or there is a podcast called the Forest Podcast. And I know Ken, Kevin Love, I think is or Kenneth Love. Oh, oh yeah, Kenneth Love. Yeah, Kenneth yeah. Love. He's one of the um, co-hosts. There's another guy on there. What's his name? 
uh, Mike Evans. Mike is our community manager. Okay, right, right. So they they do like a I think they must do a daily a daily show. Um, and I, how, think they, how, I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. So I mean, how was that? How is the um, the Forest Podcast associated with the show? Did they just start up independently and name it the Forest Podcast, or did you guys kind of dream it up together? Yeah, they uh, Mike Mike started it with uh, man who I forget who Mike started it with originally. It might have been Ken. Um, th- this was just something they did in sort of doing like early on, like April maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Totally independently, just you know, called it Forest Podcast, and it was about stuff going on on Forest, and then a blend of uh, you know things called from around the around the web. Um, yeah, and they, they, I think they do a show daily. It's, uh, it's been something that we've been trying to roll in to Forest in a more official capacity, but just, you know, we've all been dragging our feet a little bit on that. Um, it's, it's been awesome to see. I mean, I, I definitely don't get to listen as much as I'd like to, um, but it's, uh, they've had some cool guests, and it's just it's remarkable to see, I guess, another sort of passion project that, that came out of Forest um, from users. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I was curious because... When I first thought it, when I first heard it or listened to an episode, I was expecting the one of the co-hosts to be the founder of Forest, and then I was getting confused because I thought, wait a minute, Kyle Bragger runs Forest, but he's not on the show. What's going on here? Um, but now it makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. It's yep. It, I mean, I think I've been on like once or twice, but Mike, Mike, uh, Mike, and Ken do it every day. Uh, I should really go on more though. I should do like a weekly updates from the the desk of of uh, forest or something yeah friday with kyle right like, yeah what, exactly what this week so um oh and, and anyway but back to uh the, the thing the we were talking about before is um you know it'd be fun to have you on as a, a panel guest sometime if you're ever interested um yeah that'd be really that'd be that'd be great that'd be awesome so yeah we, we do that once every you know two or three weeks we'll try and get a couple of entrepreneurs, technologists together and just talk, you know, about random stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, put you, we'll try and get you on in the next month or so. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be great. That'd be great. All right, Justin, let's, uh, let's wrap, I'll wrap it up. I'll quit talking. Welcome to episode 108 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we're talking to Carl Bragger, founder of Forest.com. Oh, I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say hi. I'll say that. Sorry, hold on a second. Should, so, I, uh, should I say hello? Okay. Yeah, no, I'll, Justin I'll, usually says something. That's I'll why. say, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, hi, Kyle. Welcome to the show. 